Jesus wants us to know that the kingdom of God is at hand because he has arrived and his followers have the Holy Spirit in them. Now see, what Jesus is trying to convey when he sends out his messengers is, listen, Jesus is here. Welcome to A Word from God with your host and teacher, James Lindley. The title of this episode is Called by Jesus and was recorded live at Grand Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, this is Misha Pelkey, and before we get started, I want to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. Drop him a line via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. That email again is james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. That address again is James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. Now here's your host and teacher, James Lindley. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 25, called by Jesus, is today's sermon. In this 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is calling his disciples to send them out to preach the gospel. This same calling goes out to all Christians. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So these uh, disciples are called, and Jesus is going to send them out to do some work. I don't know about you guys, but I learned very early on that being a Christian means working for God. What what a great boss, you know, because he uh, he has great benefits. (laughs) He has interesting work, and uh, the work is never over. I mean, there's always something to do for God. And so being a Christian... Uh, isn't just about being saved. Of course, that's the first and foremost important thing. That's why we're Christians is because we're saved by grace. But once we're saved, the Lord, you know, he could just say, well, it's time to take you up here. But he leaves us here uh, so that we have work to do. You know, the Bible actually says that when a Christian dies, it doesn't actually use the word Christian, but when a saint dies, uh, one of his people dies, he actually rejoices Did you know that when a Christian dies, God is happy about it? I know, the Bible actually says that, because he gets to be with you, right there. You get to be in the presence of the Lord. And so, he's leaving you behind so that you can do something for the kingdom of God. He's actually making a sacrifice of not being with you so that he can leave you. And he is with you, don't get me wrong here, but I'm talking about, you know, face-to-face with you. Uh, so that we can do our work down here, you see? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, our first point is the 12 apostles. You know that when Jesus was on earth, he had some guys following him around, and one of them was the enemy, right? He was Judas, okay? But they were his 12 disciples, and he made them apostles. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, I'm reading now the ESV. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
The key word here is called. Jesus does not force us to follow him. This is what I love about God. He calls you gently. He calls you lovingly. Every time you come to church, I'm talking about serving God, right? I'm talking about doing things. That is a call through his vessel to tell you, hey, God's got work for you to do. The simple fact that when I say that we are to invite people to church at the beginning of service is a call for everyone in this room to get people to come to church. Praise God. The Lord calls us. And he doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't blackmail you. He doesn't threaten you. He doesn't try to convince you that if you don't do it, you're going to suffer great pain and hardship. He doesn't threaten you. But he does call you. Okay, because God wants your response to be one out of love and not one out of duty. Everybody catch that? God wants you to serve him out of love and not out of duty. Right. Because he says that we're his friends. Right. We're his friends and friends want to help friends out. Okay, so that is the main word here is called. When he calls us. It's our choice whether or not to respond to him. Now, a lot of people say, well, if God really wanted me to do something for him and he was really calling me, why, well, I'd just be doing it because I wouldn't really have a choice. He would just make it happen. That's not true. That's not true. Many people are called, but not everybody responds to the calling the appropriate way. A lot of people spend their whole life being called by God, and they suffer loss because they're not listening to the call that God has put on their life. Choosing to follow Christ moves us forward. Choosing not to follow him leaves us left behind. Now, let me explain that. First and foremost, God is calling you to the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you are giving the gospel to an unbeliever and this person doesn't accept, they get left behind, especially if they never accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior when he returns the second time, they will certainly be left behind, okay? But Christians can be left behind too because you can accept the invitation to be saved. However, you can decline the invitation to serve. You can tell God that I'm just not going to sit here and do this. I'm going to live my life and enjoy what I want to enjoy and do what I want to do and sit on the sidelines, okay? Now, the Bible elsewhere talks about how our works are going to be tested by fire. Well, you know what that is, right? That's the Holy Spirit. So when we sit in the front of the judgment seat of God, he's going to look at our works one day, and he is going to test it by fire to see whether or not what we did in the flesh was meant for the kingdom of God. Everything that we do in the flesh that is for the benefit of the kingdom of God will reap a reward from God. But the Bible elsewhere says that some people, their works are going to be consumed by the holy fire of God. In other words, they're not going to stand up to the testing of fire. The, the works that we did did not further the kingdom, okay? Did not further the gospel. And those people will still be saved, okay? But they won't have a reward, all right? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like rewards. And when I get into God's kingdom, when he sets it upon earth, I really don't want to be spending eternity without any rewards. Um, 
the Bible speaks a lot about rewards. And so I want to earn those by doing it out of love. You see what I mean? Okay. So we have a choice. And I don't want to be left behind. Now, Christ must do the calling. Now, this is important because I have met a lot of people that get an idea to do something for the church or to do something for God, but he never told them to do it. In fact, we find an example of that when Peter told Jesus that he would never allow Jesus to be killed, right? And he said, get behind me, Satan, right? It wasn't his idea. It wasn't Jesus's idea to tell Peter to do that. It was Peter's idea. So Christ must do the calling, so pray about things and, and, and ask God if he's calling you to do something, okay? Jesus calls people from all sorts of backgrounds. You notice how they put in there the tax collector, right? Matthew was a tax collector, and we talked about that, I believe, last week when we said how tax collectors were pretty much hated by the people. They were considered one of the greatest of all sinners. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it also mentioned who? Who else did it mention that he called in the scripture we just read? Judas. He put Judas to work. Judas was going to betray him. You think Jesus didn't know that? Man, Jesus knew he was going to betray him. He knew it from the beginning of time, okay? And he still put him to work. Sometimes people come to me, Pastor, why you let that person working in here? Don't you know they're going to get you? Yeah, but you know what? God's got work for them too. God can and use anybody, okay? Even wicked, evil people that are going to get you. He can still put you to work, okay? You may not even know you're doing it. Judas didn't even know he was doing something very important, and he was, okay? He caused the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior who had to die in order for us to live. Praise God. Now, Judas wasn't a willing participant, okay? So what he did, he did it out of the motivation for himself, amen? So uh, there's no reward in that, is there? No. Okay, so uh, gave them authority. Jesus uh, could give authority and still can because he is the authority. That's important because you know what? When somebody delegates authority, it's because they have the authority. Have you guys ever been at work and somebody at work told you to do something, but they didn't have the authority to tell you to do it? And you're like, I better check with the boss. If the boss says it, then I'll do it. But I don't know who you are, okay? So it's very important that we understand that Jesus gave authority to these 12 apostles to do the miracles that he set them out to do. Somebody once told me, well, I don't believe the Bible because um, people pray for healings and I never see it. And people pray for this and I never see it. I have to tell you something. You remember when the disciples brought the young boy, and they couldn't cast the demon out, and Jesus had to do it. Now listen, Jesus can give you authority to do those miracles, but he doesn't always give, those, give that authority to do that, okay? And now that's evident in the world we live because we know that people still die. I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for people not to die. They still died, okay? Because God at that time didn't give me the authority to save that person's life because Jesus has to give you the authority to do that, okay? He has to tell you, go over there and lay hands on that person and pray for them and I'll heal them. If you hear that, like he just did for these 12, he just told them to do that. So they went out and they did it, amen? Now, the reason why they couldn't cast out the demon in that young boy in another example was because he gave them the authority, but they didn't have the faith. 
It also takes faith after God tells you to do something to go out and do it. That's why a lot of people fail at the calling of God because he told them to go do something and they don't have the faith to follow through. So if God tells you to do something, you have to exercise the faith that he also gives you in order for you to achieve the goal that he's asked you to go achieve. Number two, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, okay? Matthew 10, verses 5 through 15. These 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons, you receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics of, or sandals or a staff, but uh, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So let's take a look at these verses. Jesus told the apostles to go to the Jews because it would be through the Jews that the whole world would hear the gospel first. He promised in the Old Testament that he was going to make himself a people and that these people would bear the Messiah. And so now he's telling these first, uh, he's telling these first apostles, hey, this is what I got for you to do. And this is where I want you to go first, okay? And by the way, the New Testament is written by Jews as well as the Old Testament. So we get our whole Bible from the Jews. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah who would deliver them militarily. Now, see, this was the problem. In Jesus' day, they were all expecting a military conqueror. They were expecting deliverance from their enemy called the Romans, their oppressors. But see, that's a temporal fix. You see, God can come down and he can fix anything in your life right now. But guess what? You're going to die one day. And all that stuff he fixed is going to be wasted because it's not going to be yours anymore. Right? So he needs a permanent solution. He needs to fix us from what? Sin. He needs to fix us from sin. The, the enemy that the Messiah came to conquer was sin. Okay? He also came to conquer who? Satan. Right? Okay. So they were looking for the wrong Messiah. Jesus wants us all to know that the kingdom of God is at hand because he has arrived and his followers have the Holy Spirit in them. Now, see, what Jesus is trying to convey when he sends out his messengers is, listen, Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. You see, the Spirit of God is placed into Christians and so when you encounter a Christian, you're actually encountering who? God himself. He is here. It's not coming. It's arrived. You understand that God is already working to set the kingdom up. He's building it. The house is being built brick by brick. Who's the brick? 
We're the bricks. Yeah, he started out with 12, right? He actually started out with himself, right? And now he's building his kingdom brick by brick. The kingdom of God is made out of people, okay? It's made out of us, amen. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, Jesus wants us to give the gospel, his love, and his mercy as freely as we ourselves have received them, okay? We don't want to go around telling people you owe us something because I gave you the gospel, right? Tithing that we talked about earlier, that has nothing to do with anybody paying for the gospel. There are plenty of people that come to church that have nothing to give. I mean zero. They don't get any money, okay? And they have nothing to give, all right? We've had people like that here at the church. We don't ask anybody to pay for the gospel, amen? What God asks, so we don't get the two mixed up, is that when God has blessed you, trust him and give him his 10% so that he can continue growing the gospel. Obviously, we don't want to have church out in this cold, wet weather, do we? And obviously, we got to pay for the lights, and we got to pay for the uh, rent, and we got to pay for the things that uh, take to run all of this. So it's not for free, okay? The gospel's free, but this building isn't. So we don't want to get tithing mixed up with what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says that those who minister are to be cared for. You know, he's saying, hey, don't, don't take all of this stuff. Now, I want to make something very clear. In this situation, in this first calling of the apostles, he told them not to take all this stuff with them, okay? But that was in this situation. Now, ministers need food, shelter, and other necessities of life, okay? And what God, or should I say Jesus at this point, was saying was God the Father will take care of you as I send you out in this situation, okay? Now, he was telling them, go to the houses where your peace falls on it, because those are the places that will respect God and take care of you. Do you follow what he was saying? In other words, when you go to a house and the peace comes on, those are the places that's going to take care of God's people. There are some places that won't take care of God's people, you can't stay there. They won't take care of you. You're out there working for God. You can't have a full-time job because if you did, you wouldn't be doing the things of God. Right? God's work takes a lot of, lot of time. In this case, Christ is telling them to rely solely on God the Father for provision. But in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, 36, he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. You see, when he gives the Great Commission, he's talking about, look, now you have to be prepared. So when the Lord told me to start a church, he said, look, now I'm telling you to get a church building. Now I'm telling you to get pews. But you know what? Before I was a pastor, he said, don't take none of this stuff with you. Just go out and proclaim. And I was an evangelist. I didn't have to take all that stuff. And God provided on the way. Now he's telling me we have to be prepared. See, when you belong to a church, God is telling you now you need to take some money bags because the landlord's going to come knocking. You see what I'm saying? Life needs are going to come knocking. Don't be a fool with your money. Take care of the things of God and be a good steward of it. That's what he's saying in Luke, okay? He also talks about selling your cloak and buying a sword. Christians are to protect themselves. Did you know that? The constitutional right to own a gun comes from this scripture right here, okay? Because God wants us to be able to protect ourselves. You know why? 
Because people who are not believers are hostile towards who? Christians. We're going to get to that in here today. Now, shaking the dust off, Jews often shook the dust off their feet in Jesus' day when leaving Gentile cities. This was to show the disdain for Gentile practices. Now, let me explain to you. It was like they were in a Gentile area, and they had to travel through there for business. And what they wanted to do was when they walked out of the Gentile area, they wanted to show to everybody, I do not congregate with those people. I don't agree with them, and I am getting the dust off of that land off my feet. I don't want nothing to do with those people, not even the dirt on my soles. That was to tell everybody I'm a Jew, and I have nothing to do with what those people practice. That's sort of like walking you know, in a liquor store, and you're going in to get a soda pop, and somebody sees you coming out of a liquor store, and you show them, I bought a soda. I've got a soda, not a beer. Not hard, not, I'm not a drunk. You let people know. Otherwise, you're going to look like you're one of them. So Jesus is saying, if somebody rejects the gospel, you let people know you had nothing to do with them, that you don't practice that. Okay? The disciples shaking the dust off their feet signified their disdain for other Jews who rejected Christ. Amen? Now, Sodom and Gomorrah was mentioned in the last verse we read. They were two cities destroyed by fire, but their inhabitants never heard the gospel. So it would be worse for those who do hear it and reject it. Think about that. Those guys never heard the gospel, and God destroyed them by fire. What do you think is going to happen to the people who heard the gospel and rejected it? You ain't going to have no excuse. Even those guys would be able to make up an excuse or two. We didn't know about no Messiah. We had no clue. He'll have some mercy on them. But what about the people who heard about Jesus? Ha! It's going to be easier on those two cities than for people who heard the gospel and rejected Jesus. People need to be afraid. People need to be afraid. Listen, we're talking about the God who not only created life, but he also created death. How, how scared of you are? Uh, uh, how scared of you of dying? That's pretty scary by itself, but there's something worse than death. Jesus said, don't even fear the people that could destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. We need, to, we need to wake up in this country. Third, persecution will come. I'd like to say that in today's age, this is what's stopping people from serving God, but persecution in America is nothing compared to what it was back in those days. Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Okay. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, the first thing he's talking about is what? Sheep and wolves. We're like sheep. The Bible refers to God's people as sheep. Innocent because we're saved by grace. We don't think like the world. We're not supposed to. We wouldn't do the things that the people in the world are doing. Not supposed to. We should be like sheep. He sends us out gentle, kind, frail, okay? Christ has enemies, and anyone who is for Jesus has the same enemies. People aren't going to welcome you if they don't welcome Jesus. You need to forget that idea right away. If people hate you because you're a Christian, they're not hating you personally. They're hating who you represent And Jesus has a lot of enemies. A lot of people don't like Jesus. A lot of people don't want you telling them about him. And if they hated him, they're going to hate you, right? In this case, the wolves were the Pharisees in Jesus' day who opposed Jesus while he was on earth. He was warning them about those guys, but we have them right here in America right now. So, yeah, we have enemies today, right? We are to be clever and wise like a snake. A snake is clever and sneaky, right? But we're not to act like them. Because we are to be as gentle as a dove when dealing with wolves. We're not supposed to be mean and hostile and wicked and vile when we see a wolf, right? We're supposed to be as gentle as a dove. And some Christians don't get that. Some Christians are kind of mean when they see a wolf, you know? You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be gentle as a dove. Why is that? Jesus is gentle. Could you imagine for a moment if Jesus gave you what you really deserved? If he gave me what I deserved? Man, that would be a beating nobody would forget. But he's gentle as a dove with us, being patient. You never know that that wolf may one day, he might become a sheep of God, Right? Before you count anybody out, just remember how lost you were and Jesus found you. And back in the day, you know nobody could reach you. It took an act of God to reach you. Christians will suffer persecution for Jesus, but he will be with us and guide us through it all. Now listen, he said when. He didn't say if. He said when. Look, if you're working for God and you're doing what you're being told to do, you're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. 
And if you're not being persecuted, maybe you ain't talking enough about Jesus. Enduring for Christ is not uh, a means to salvation. Enduring for Christ is not a means to salvation. However, it is evidence that someone is saved. Listen, you want to sort out the true believers? Squeeze them a little bit. The people who are not for Jesus will give up real quick. Yeah, it's getting too hot in here for me. Bye. I ain't doing this no more. Man, pastor's asking me to tithe, and I only got 15 bucks on my paycheck, and he wants 10% of that. Mm-mm. Can't do that. That's too much. That's too much to ask. Bye. I'm leaving the church now. Right? Parking lot's full. Can't find a place to park. Why should I come to church anymore? I have to walk from the gas station. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. That's too much work. Pastor wants me to get up and get my own Bible because there's a stack over by, man, the deacon used to do that. I'm not, I'm not going there anymore. The Lord wants me to change my lifestyle. Somebody called me a name for following Jesus. I, I don't want to do this no more. I quit. I'll go to church, but I won't tell nobody. I'll go in secret. Don't want to be persecuted. Now, if you're persecuted at one location, get away and preach somewhere else. Keep going. Look, just because somebody is persecuting you over here doesn't mean you can't walk over there and do it, right? Find another place. Shake the dust off and move. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't give in to persecution. Don't give in to temptation. Don't give in to the devil and get him to stop you from doing what God called you to do. Disciples are not greater than their teachers, and so disciples can expect to be treated as badly as Jesus was when he was on earth. Listen, they didn't treat Jesus very good. They're not going to treat Christians very good, okay? What makes us better than him that people are going to treat us better? We're not better than Jesus. Beelzebub was known as the prince of demons. Good is often called bad, and bad is often called good. They called Jesus the prince of demons. And they said, look, these miracles you're doing, you're doing them because you're the prince of the demons, man. They have to listen to you. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You see, they couldn't deny the miracles because it was right in front of them. So they had to deny the deity of Jesus by saying, well, you're, you're, you're a demon prince. They're listening to you because you're their boss and you're the demon of demons. Okay? If they called him that, they're going to call you some stuff too. Because none of us are Jesus in here, right? And so we're not doing all of the great things that Jesus did, right? We're not living our life as clean as he did. And so we're not even close to being like our teacher. So what do you think they're going to do to us? And they crucified him and he was perfect. And we're not. We make mistakes. What more do you think they'll do to us, right? In conclusion, I want to say being a disciple of Christ is not easy. In this sin-filled world where evil is so welcomed over godliness. Christ warns us that even our own families will be against us. Only with Jesus can we endure. And I want to say before we leave here today. That God has a calling on every person's life. No matter where you are, God can and will use. If he could use Judas and call that murdering, lying thief who sold Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. Surely he could use saved Christians. 
This is Misha again to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. You can contact him via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. Again, that's james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri 65801. And be sure to visit us online at www.awordfromgod.net. I'm Misha Pelkey for A Word From God. And I'm James Lindley. And I want to thank you for listening. And I pray that God will bless you immensely from this message. <laughs>